seated. Before we go any further, I just want to welcome you. We're certainly glad you came to worship with us. Uh, my name is Shane. I'm the lead pastor here at Mountain View. Um, just a moment, we're going to do something a little bit different than we normally do. We're going to, we're going to take communion. Uh, we normally, we, we used, usually do this after sir, the message, um, but we, uh, we believe that we want to do anything we can to support our children's ministry and parents raising their children. And we've had quite a few parents that have just asked if there's a way we could work it where they take communion with their children and then still have the children get their instruction. And we've, so we're going to try doing it before the message. So say that to say, if you have a child that you would like to take communion with you, you believe that they've given their life to Christ and they understand that, and you want to begin walking through through that with them, uh, you're welcome to dismiss yourself right now and go go grab them for this. But um, and I know some of you have already brought them. Um, so we're going to do that. Before we do that, though, I do do want to real quick draw your attention to these cards. If you're new with us, um, please take a second and fill one. Look through these cards and and fill them out. Um, Specifically drawing your attention to the connection card. It's just a great way for us to get to know who you are. And, and more importantly, if, if you want to find out more about how Mountain View Fellowship can play a part in your life and maybe help you grow in your relationship with Christ or what it means to know God, uh, we want to be able to do that. And then the prayer card. If you came here today and you have something on your heart that you would just love for someone to lift up to God for you, um, please fill that out. And and you can just put those in the offering when they come by. Let us be able to pray for you. We believe in the power of prayer in your life. At this time, I'm going to ask the ushers to go ahead and begin passing this morning's communion. And the way we partake in communion here at Mountain View Fellowship, um, just so you know, if you've never taken communion or this is kind of new to you, we always kind of say, this is kind of one of the, the weird parts about going to church. You know, you're like, what is this? Why are we, why are we doing this? Um, this, this is an important part for us that, that have given our lives to Christ and we, we trust in the work that he did on the cross for us because before Jesus went to the cross, he had his followers in a room and they were sharing a meal together. And in that meal, he took some bread and he broke it. And he said, this bread represents my body broken for you. And he took a cup of wine and he, and he said, as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me because this wine represents my blood poured out for you and he asked that when we would gather together we would take these elements and remember the gift that he gave to us remember the work on the cross to remember the sacrifice he had and i love that we take communion together because communion is one of those times that we come together we have community together, but also with God. That we are able to remember that the, our God, our creator, invites us into his throne room to, to commune with him. And that we are his followers. We are one. We have unity through him. And no matter what our differences, no matter all the different things that we go through and maybe things we even disagree on within this room, we can come together in that unity. That we are one in Jesus. So Larry's going to continue playing as they're passing. And we just ask you to go ahead and take the communion at your own time while he's playing. But also 
If you're here with someone and you'd like to take the communion with them, or you, there's just someone in this room that you'd like to take communion with, or you have your children with you and you want to kind of pray with them, um, to feel free to do that. And then when we're done with that, I'll come back up and, and we'll go into this morning's message. So let's pray and then we'll, we'll continue forward. Father God, I thank you for our opportunity to come together to have communion here. For us to remember the gift that you give us, the ultimate sacrifice you made. And as we take these elements this morning, may we always remember what a gracious gift it is. And may we always remember that as your servants, we are so blessed to be able to come and be in relationship with you. And that we would take that blessing and that we would shine it out into the rest of the world. In your name we pray. Amen. So, ushers, continue passing and feel free to take the communion at your own time.
right, well, um, as I said, we are certainly glad that you're here to worship with us this morning. Uh, We are into our last week going through the parables, and uh, next week is going to be our anniversary Sunday. And an anniversary Sunday, we... Uh, that's a big day for us. So we really encourage you to be here with us for that day. We'll be looking back over the nine years that God has brought us through to this point, And we're going to be looking forward and celebrating the things that God is going to continue to do. Before I go any further, I was supposed to say this. Just sorry, junior hires, we don't have junior high class today. So you have to put up with me. I promise I'll do my best. Okay. Um, hey, but uh, we... Um, so, so that's, uh, that's coming up next week. So we hope that you will be here for that. We are going to have a special service. There'll be some testimony time. There'll be some videos uh, and just kind of talking about what God is doing. And then that evening, we're having an old-fashioned church picnic. So just you can look through your bulletins. It tells you what to bring. And if you're, if, especially if, me, if you're kind of new, I would really encourage you. That's a great thing to come to. It's hard to get to know people on Sunday morning. It's hard to build relationships, but, but you know, coming to an event like that is a great way to get to know some people and find out common interests and things uh, to be able to build some of the relationships that we're all hoping for and looking for. So as we're into our last week of the parable, today we're going to look at Luke chapter 19, verse 11 through 27, <clears throat> and we're talking about, in your Bibles, what would be headed as the parable of the ten minas, or some versions uh, um, title it the parable of the three stewards. For this morning's purpose, for the message, I titled the message, Getting Ready for the King. Because we're going to look at what it means for Jesus to be king and what we're supposed to be doing, preparing for him to come. Now, if you've ever, if you've raised children, and you've raised them to that, like, preteen or teenager and up age at this point, you've probably experienced a little bit of what it means to have your children be your stewards, um, even just in parenting. And so, Because we're going to talk about a steward. What does it mean to be a steward? Well, as a parent, here's how you've kind of some one way in which you've, tried, you've probably experienced help, helping your kids understand that they are your stewards. That your kids get to a certain age where you decide, You know what, they're old enough that I can leave them while I run some errands or go to the grocery store and trust them for an hour or maybe two hours, right? And so you go and you do those things. And the whole time, your first time doing this, you're kind of like praying that the house is in flames when you return or that you walk through the door and a kid's got a pencil shoved through his eye or something. You know, you're like hoping that the worst does not happen, right? And you walk in, and it's probably not perfect. There's probably some things that aren't the way you would like it. But you kind of settle. It's like, okay, well, did they do a good job? And you decide, if did they do a good enough job? Whereas the stewards of my home and our family and their long, younger brothers and sisters, did they, did they do a good enough job where I can trust them with more responsibility, give them greater um, benefits and even privileges? Or do I have to like scale it back and say, whoa, you, you were not ready for this, okay? Um, and, and as it gets going, you, you know, it goes from a couple, an hour or two to then maybe you decide you can go on a date. Right? And we can actually go somewhere and be gone for like four or five hours. 
And we won't have to eat at Del Taco as our date because we're not spending 50 bucks on a babysitter, right? So we can actually go to a nice place and enjoy ourselves. And you do that and you see how it goes. And then maybe as they get even older, it goes to being gone for the night. Well, I've raised three children through this phase and um, to differing degrees of success. Um, I remember the first time David, our oldest, was going to be home for the evening by himself. All my kids, they all did a great job. They, none of them caused any like things where I had to, you know, really worry. But his, his biggest one that I remember was the first time we left him for like five or six hours that he was also going to be able to have a couple friends over, right? So he was going to have just three or four friends over. And he was like only, I think he was like 14, 14 or 15. And they were just hanging out for the night. And... What, from what could have been, this was really not that big of a deal. But so I get home, and, it, and they had built a fire in the fire pit, right? Which they didn't ask, so, but whatever, they built a fire. It was in the least, it was in the general right spot. Um, and, and, and the only problem was, I couldn't see it that night, but when I woke up the next morning, the grass, so my fire pit, it's about three feet wide. So it's not a little pit, it's about three feet wide. And then it has stones all the way around it and then grass. And when I looked out at the grass the next day, the grass about 18 inches outside of the fire pit all the way around was burned to a crisp. And I'm like, that is probably not a good thing. Getting up to the stones, I look, and they're broken in pieces. Now, you know that if a fire gets too hot, that's what happens. So let go to find out that they had about six pallets plus wood in my fire pit with gasoline and starter fluid on top of it. And, and that the flames were about 12 feet high um, at, one, at one point. So thank God, still have my house. Uh, but but uh, as we found more and more about that, he got in more and more trouble. Um, my daughters, now when they, when, we, when they were a little older, my wife and I decided we're going to go away for the night and leave them. And the, we left our younger ones. Those of you know, we have five of the two younger ones. We left with other people. And our two older ones, we said, okay, they're old enough. They can handle this. We're going to leave them home. They did great. They, there was no problem. But they thought they would make fun of our you ever, as a parent, you tell your kids all these things you know they know, but it still makes you feel better that you actually said it so they can't say, well, yeah, I didn't know, right? Because you all know you do that, okay? Um, so, so we went through all these things with them. So then they decided to jokingly take pictures of them doing all these things that they're not supposed to do and post them on Facebook. So here's a few of the photos they posted on Facebook. One of Rachel throwing a knife blindfolded at Hannah. Um, <laughs> Jumping on our bed, having a pillow fight. What else did they post? Oh, sliding down our banisters, jump, throw, just diving onto our bed, um, riding the bike down the stairs. You know, so, so, so they put that all over Facebook while we were gone, and um, so they had fun with that. <laughs> so if that's the worst they did, I am in really good shape, and I'm just hoping that's all I ever hear about. So, um, but my point is this. The goal is we know that we, want to, that we see them as stewards. That's what we're doing. We're saying, look, I'm entrusting my home. I'm entrusting our family. I'm entrusting our valuables. I'm entrusting these to you. We, I want you to be a good steward of it. Handle it properly. 
Do, advance my kingdom. Don't, don't ruin my kingdom, right? That's what we want, and that's what we expect of our kids. And when they do that, we want to reward them. When we see them doing those things, don't we want to reward them? Won't we want to give them more and get, have them have better responsibilities? I always tell my kids as they're getting older that, hey, you, you, be, you make it on your curfews. You, you do the things you're right. I'll start opening those curfews up. I'll trust you more. You start breaking those. You start, I catch you lying. The, the, everything gets harder on you. Well, this story that Jesus is going to tell us today is, is a lot like that. It's, it's, it's about a king who leaves his servants as stewards of his resources and expects them to advance his kingdom. So let's go ahead and look at Luke chapter 19, verse 11 to 17. It says this, it says, While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects... Now, notice it says subjects, not servants. The word, as you're reading this, the word subjects and servants, it's two different groups of people. The servants are his actual servants. The subjects are people that live in that area, okay? But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and he returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your mine has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mine has earned five more. He answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mine. I've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you're a hard man. You take what you did not put in and you reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man taking what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who do not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. So let's go ahead and look at this and, and see what Jesus is trying to get across here. One, Luke starts out with giving us the purpose of this parable right away. In verse 11, he tells us that Jesus was approaching Jerusalem. And as he is, many of his followers, the people that were paying attention to his ministry, were expecting him to establish his kingdom, an earthly kingdom, right then, right there. And, and that's kind of what they were excited about. When the, we read about the triumphal entry, which is pretty much right after this, we, all the people laying down the palm branches and shouting, they were hoping that he was going to establish this earthly kingdom. And he tells this story as a way of saying, that's not what's going to happen right now. That 
I'm not going to do this right now. I have to go away before I can come back as your king. And he says he's going away to a distant place. This suggests a long period of time is going to take place. And he's letting him know what he expects while he is gone. So let's break that up and look at it. The first thing we see from this is the, the receiving of the title. The king is going to receive his title. It says that he went away, but with the expectation of returning as the righteous king. This noble man that Jesus is speaking of is, is him. He's the noble man. Jesus was of noble birth. He, he was bo born of the line of David. And he, when this noble man goes away, this is Jesus going back, ascending to, to his Father in heaven before he comes back. He's going to receive his kingdom. In verse 13, it says he leaves and entrusts his servants with these minas, this, this amount of money. Now, a mina was basically averaged out to about three months' wages for a laborer of those days. It would be about three months of a laborer's wages. And he tells them to put this gift to work for them, for him while he's gone. You see, throughout Jesus' life, he made it clear that we are to use our gifts, our times, our talents, our treasures, all the things he lays out for us to serve his kingdom. We see in Mark chapter 4, verse 24 through 25, it says, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured for you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. In 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1 and 2, we see Paul says, This is how one should regard us, as servants and of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. See, all throughout the Bible, we are told that we are called to be faithful stewards of God's resources, of the things he has put in our care in order to advance his kingdom. But what do we see? We see, one, that the people didn't want him to be king. Many of the subjects of the, the area, the place he was going to be king over, didn't want him to be placed as king. That was definitely the case for Jesus. Most people didn't want him to be king. Sure, he had his followers, but even what they wanted wasn't what he was going to give them. They wanted a different idea of a king. But Jesus wasn't the type of king they, that anyone was looking for. He, he didn't represent the political power and, and the, the war power that the rest of the people were looking for. They wanted a king that was going to... to get rid of their oppressors and give them a strong earthly kingdom. And so Jesus faced much persecution and opposition in his ministry. They were looking for something different. But you know, our world is still the same. Our world doesn't want Jesus to be king. And many people just passively oppose that, but many flat out actively oppose that. Many of us passively oppose it by simply just saying, hey, I get it, and what works for you, great. But for me, I'm just going to do what I do. And, you know, I, I'll love you, and I'll care about that, I'll, that. what you do, that's awesome. But I'm just going to do what I do, and I want you to leave me alone. That's a passive rejection of the king. And then there are those that flat out hate the idea of Jesus as king. The reality is, is we want to be our own king. We want to be free to act 
live and believe as we please without any accountability to others or responsibility to anyone. We want no one to tell us what's right or wrong or true or false. But the reality is, as we see from the story, just like it didn't matter what the subjects wanted, the truth is it doesn't matter what we want. The king is king. The king is king. This isn't a democracy. We don't get to vote, and all the protesting in the world is not going to change a thing. He will return, and he will claim his kingdom someday, and when he does, he's going to bring a final judgment. He's clear about that all throughout his teaching and through what we see throughout the rest of the New Testament. So, we have the receiving of the, the king of the kingdom and the crown. Next, we have the return of the king. He's going to return. In verse 15, we see he returns, and when he does, he calls his servants to see what they've done with the gifts that he's given them. See, a good king is always concerned with advancing his kingdom. A good king is always concerned with the strength of his kingdom, the growth of his kingdom. And if he's a good king, he's concerned with it happening in the proper way Christ is concerned with the growth of his kingdom. He's concerned with the expansion of his kingdom. What, is, what does that mean? For Jesus' kingdom to grow, what is it? Well, Jesus' kingdom is anything and everything that chooses to say, I want to be a part of your kingdom. Every soul that says, I want to be in your kingdom, that's what Jesus' kingdom is. So the expansion of his kingdom is simply helping people get to that place of knowing him of surrendering and being a part of his kingdom. And that's what he is concerned with. And that's what he wants us as his servants to be concerned with. He wants us to be continually focused on expanding his kingdom, on growing his kingdom. See, when we look at the king's servants, they were serving in a hostile area. The people didn't want him. They didn't want his kingdom being advanced. They, they, they were probably doing everything possible to thwart that and yet they were still called to be faithful servants among hostile people towards him we too are called to be faithful servants even when we are in a hostile area or we meet are met with hostility i will say this though we're called to be faithful servants very rarely do you see any language in the bible that suggests we're called to be faithful warriors and I think a lot of times as Christians, we, we approach it as warriors rather than servants. We come at those that oppress, we come at those that are against as warriors, as though we are called to point them the way with the sharp end of the sword. And that is not how, how, how we see Jesus call, quit calling us to. That's not what we see. We see him calling us servants. We're called to approach with humility. We're called to approach with love. We're called to advance, to shine his light with, with simply being who he calls us to be by reflecting him. And the more we do that, the more the world sees that. But it's easy when people, when others get in our face, it's easy to want to get in someone else's face, right? It's easy when we, when we feel like our rights are being, being uh, oppressed or, or threatened. It's easy to want to jump in people's face. And to, to fight back in a, in a oftentimes completely ungodly way, an unchristlike manner. 
We're not called to be warriors as much as we're called to be servants. See, we too are in this a culture that's over, overall that's hostile to Jesus. But he wants us to work to draw people closer to him. So we see the first two servants. They come to him and they, were, they, they brought their, the amount that they had gained, the, the amount that they had they expanded his wealth or his kingdom, and they were rewarded greatly for it. They were rewarded for their faithfulness. Their faithfulness in little things gave them great rewards. In fact, very generous rewards. And as a result of that, they were able to oversee much more. Well, God calls us and he gives us opportunities for us to be able to serve him. And we need to constantly have our eyes and our ears open so that we can step in and use the resources that he's given us in order to serve his kingdom. We need to be faithful servants like these two servants were. He, needs to, he wants to see us using what he has given us to advance his kingdom. And we all have different ways of doing it. They were each given a mina. We are each giving, given a different kind of gift. Some of us have, have gifts of hospitality, and we're, we make people feel welcome and at home wherever they're at. You know, you, you ever hang out with people like that? They just, wherever you're at, you go with them, and they just, they just make you feel at home. It's such a, it's such a great feeling, and it's such a, a, a strong gift to be able to do that. Or others of you have gifts of encouragement, and you're able to come alongside people and encourage people through difficult times. Others, you're, verb, you're just great with words, and, and it's just saying the right thing, and helping people through, and maybe even teaching them biblical truths at times. Others, it just gifts having service and abilities, and craftsmanship, or, or some sort of um, just ability to, to serve that God has gifted you in, whether it be mechanical or um, building things or, or just, you know, helping with think things through. We all have these different kinds of gifts, financial gifts, that we can help people get in, out of financial situations or just even through counsel, financial counsel at times. It doesn't even have to be the giving of funds sometimes. Sometimes people just need wisdom. I, we go on and on and talk about different ways that every one of us has and can use to advance God's kingdom. But we need to use them purposefully thinking, how am I using this, not just to be a good person, but how am I using this specifically to serve Christ? And even more specifically, to serve him so that others might know him. And I think sometimes we... We get caught up and we just do. Even some people that are great at serving, we just get caught up in the serving and we forget why we're doing it in the first place. We forget to be praying for these people that God is putting in our path. For to be praying for the right words to say or the right invite to give or the right timing to, to really affect that. And we just start, we kind of go out and we're doing it on our own power and we, we forget that he's right there. Not only did he give us the gift, he gave us himself to come alongside us and, and start helping us guide, guide that situation. God gives each of us different places. If you have no idea what your place is, I just really want to encourage you to take our next steps class in October. Well, we're going to, that's exactly what this is for. This class will help you learn 
with how God has specifically gifted you and how you can serve his purposes in a way that nobody else in this church can do so. And we want to come alongside you and help you do that because we believe that God has specifically created you with a purpose and he wants to use you. And when you're not being used, others are suffering as a result of that. So if you haven't taken that class and you're interested in that, I strongly encourage you to step into that. You know, another thing with that is I'm noticed that they were faithful with the little things and then he gave them something big to do. A lot of times I talk to people that they have these grandiose ministry ideas, right? They want, they, they're going to start a home for battered women or they're going to do, to do a, um, you know, big brother, big sister program for children and this is all the things we're going to do or they're going to start a feeding program. They're going to do these big programs. Awesome. Dream big. That's great. I love dreaming big. But anytime someone comes to me and has those ideas, my first thing I think and the first thing I ask is that's awesome. What are you doing right now to be faithful in the little things? What, what, what is something right now you're showing faithfulness in? What is something that you've committed to and no matter what, when, when, things, when distractions come up or things get in the way, that's still your priority. You're, you're going to stick to that. You're not going to say, oh, well, that's just not that big of a deal. I'm waiting for the big thing. Because I'll tell you, until we're faithful in those little things, we're, we're not going to see those. And I, you, I, in my 25 years of ministry, I've seen so many people come with awesome ideas. And maybe 10% of those ideas have I seen come to anything. And every time, those 10%, it was people that were being faithful. They, they started small. And they watched God work. And they saw God do things. I, uh, if you've ever heard of Chuck Smith, he, was the, he started the Calvary Chapel movement. Uh, Calvary Chapel churches all throughout the, mostly the West Coast, but now the world. But um, Chuck Smith used to say this because they raised up a lot of pastors within their church. That, that they got all the training to the church and everything. And, and once that became known, a lot of guys that had aspirations to be a pastor would come to him and say, man, I, I really believe God's calling me to be... The, to be in ministry, to, be, to pastor a church. And Chuck Smith would always answer, that is awesome. I'm going to pray that that is where, you, where he's calling you. In the meantime, let's find out by seeing if you can serve God faithfully by cleaning to toilets for six months. Let's be a janitor for six months and see how faithful you can be in the little things before we get these ideas that God's going to give me some big, big ministry in some big church. And I, th I think there's so much to that. You know, it doesn't have to, say have to be that, but something, some way of seeing, are we being faithful with what he's given us? And I want to encourage you, dream big, have big ideas that you, that you believe God's calling you to, but start today being faithful in these little things. Get accountability. Have people help you be faithful in something small, whether it's serving once a month in a ministry that we have here, uh, on Sunday mornings or one of our outreach ministries or, or even literally being faithful to going to a small group. You know how I many, it's just, it's hard to get people even being faithful to going, oh, I'm going to go to a group of people that will encourage me and have accountability. Or, or being faithful in, in something that isn't even within the church. Serving in the PTA, serving in, you know, some, some capacity that you feel God has given you a gift in. Show, show faithfulness in something small so that God can bless you with big things. 
Finally, in verse 20, we get to the third servant. Now, we only get three servants. It says at the beginning he, he gave to ten. I think it's just for time's sake. He didn't go through, and one brought nine. He got blessed with nine, and one got eight, and one got seven. We get the point. He covers the gamut here, right? So we get to this, this third one, the final one, and he only brings one. He brings back what was given to him. He did nothing with it. He, he just brought back what was handed to him. What a waste. You know, I think so many times we, we spend so much time about the business of all these things that we do, but very little time thinking about our master's kingdom and, and whether or not we've really put to use what he's given to us. And I hate the idea of thinking to any of us, when, when it gets to that time that we're going to meet our master, would just present to him and say, here, you gave me this, and let me just give it back. Oh, yeah, okay, it's a little messier now than when you gave it to me, probably. But here's it back. It, it, that, that's a sad thought to think that any of us would come before the king with that. And yet, Jesus was clear that there will be people that that's the case. And I think a lot of it is we spend more, I think sometimes as his servants, we spend more time worrying about whether or not, we spend more time worrying about cutting things out of our life rather than adding things to it. What do I mean by that? I think a lot of I know I was raised this way. I was raised in my youth group growing up. All I, to me, as long as I didn't cuss, smoke stuff, and drink too much, and have sex before marriage, and watch the wrong stuff, then Jesus, I was awesome. And that's all Jesus asked me to do. Just keep myself squeaky clean. And, I, and then I wonder why I basically just never wanted to go to church. They never called me to anything. Nobody ever called me to do anything. It was all about what am I cutting out of my life? And I think sometimes we spend so much time worrying about what we're cutting out of our life and not enough time worrying about whether or not we are doing anything for the kingdom. And I got to say, I don't think, I think Jesus is more concerned with servants who are doing something for his kingdom and that's what he's looking for. Give me 10 servants who's still got some messy things in their lives who are out there doing stuff for God's kingdom any day over 10 people whose lives look squeaky clean and are sitting around just seeing how they can get them cleaner. I'll take that any day. And I, think, I, I think we need to, to examine where our focus is sometimes. I also see, I see people, they lose heart after a while when, when they get that way. I, th I think sometimes we, we worry so much about cutting other things in our life certain things out of our life, but then we're not adding anything to it. And the reality is then we feel like, well, I'm not doing anything. I'm empty. And, and it's not that we, when we cut something out of our life, we need to fill it with something else. And I'm, ultimately, I, we're filling that with Jesus. I, I'm not in any way saying that's not the case. But, but we have to look at what are, we, what are we doing? Servants are called to do. Servants are called to have a job. Servants are called to be stewards. Finally, we see the rewards, the rewarding of the servants. He rewards the first two servants greatly. In fact, I wouldn't say he re rewards them fairly at all. I would say he rewards them more than generously. 
I don't know about you, but if I was the servant, I wouldn't expect that kind of reward. I would expect, you know, maybe, maybe he doubles what I have in finances, but not to be given that much of a responsibility and honor. He's very generous in his reward of the faithful servants. But then we have the other one, and he demands that gift be taken from him. Now, the first few times I read that passage a while back, I, I remember going, going, wow, this guy's a mean guy. Because look, this guy says he is. But notice, nothing about his behavior had shown that he was a mean guy. Everything about his behavior up to that point had shown him to be a generous man of his word. But this guy says you're a mean guy. So he basically says, hey, you think that's what I am? By your own words, I'll judge you by your own words. I'm going to take back what is mine. wasn't yours. I'm going to take back what is mine. I think we read it at face value and we think, what a, you know, he's a horrible guy. I think, you know, God, people see God that way, though, don't they? If we, just, if we just looked at God the way people see God, we'd say, oh, God's a horrible God. God did this. God did that. God did this. All these bad things. Rather than seeing that some of it is just it's the way life happens, we want to judge God the way we see him. But instead, he just judges him by his own words. Okay, if that's how you see me. Now, remember I said at the very beginning, there's a difference between the subjects and the servants. Notice he takes this servant's mina, but he doesn't judge him the same way he judges these subjects. He still is his servant. He doesn't cast him out. He takes the gift, but he doesn't cast him out. Now, from this, we see that there are rewards. Now, I don't like to speculate about what the rewards of heaven are. Um, the Bible does say, however, though, repeatedly, that we will be rewarded at some point in heaven. Matthew 5, 12 says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Now, there are those that speculate that those rewards are going to be jewels in our crown or bigger mansions. Um, I, I said a couple weeks ago, I believe that the language about heaven that gives us that that kind of language is illustrative language. I don't believe it's meant to be taken literal. I, if you believe it's meant to be taken literal, that's, that's great. I'm not disputing it. But either way, I don't, I don't think that's the point per se. I, I really think it doesn't matter what that's going to look like. As long as, we get, I, as long as I can get to a point where at some point I get the reward of hearing, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. If I can hear, well done, good and faithful servant, come and share in your master's happiness. If I can hear that in any form, anything close to that, I'm just going to trust that whatever those, th that, that reward is, is going to be something better than I'm ever going put, to put together and imagine in my own head anyway. That's what we're seeking. We're seeking to be good and faithful servants and to hear Jesus be able to say that about us. So he takes the gift from the bad servant. He rewards the other servants in great ways. And when he does this, Jesus is warning the listeners and he's warning the world that, he is, that when the first time he came, he came as the suffering servant. He came to call us. He came to love us. He came to show us 
to show us mercy and show us the way. But as we see from the end of this passage, when he returns, he's going to take his rightful place as king. And all those who oppose him, all those that reject him, whether openly or privately, they're going to receive their final judgment. Now, when we look at that last verse where he says, bring them here and kill them in front of me, that's a, that's a tough image for us. And I think that I, I, when I first read that a few times, I was like, man, that is brutal. That's brutal for us. You know, that, did you know that's not brutal for pretty much any culture up to the last couple hundred years? Throughout history, that, that's the way a kingdom works. Anyone that understood kingdom mentality would totally grasp that. You, king of, you Game of Thrones watchers, you should all know that. <laughs> right? That, that, I mean, no, I know it's built based on fantasy, but there's some literal, there's some actual good, pretty good historical context as far as the way some of that stuff worked. I actually, I, I joked in first service, I've only, I've, only, I've only watched two episodes, but I, I, now there are only four people in the world not watching Game of Thrones because I watched two episodes yesterday. Or, um, <laughs> but um, the... Uh, I, I thought it was a good example. In the, I think it's the first episode. The, the one guy who seems like he's going to be kind of like the good kind of kingly person, he's a nobleman at that point, at the very first part, part of the, the show, he actually goes and he beheads a deserter. And you can tell he does it with absolute remorse. He does it that he, he hates doing this. He he. He even talks to his son about afterwards, like, do you understand why we had to do this? Why? And, be, be, and he talks about it. It's because we've got a kingdom we've got to protect. We've got a, this, this is who we are. And it doesn't mean it's something he loved, but it's something that was, that it was, it was part of it. And Jesus was simply trying to show them there's going to be a judgment. There's going to be a judgment. So I close with this. Our king is going to return. And I challenge you this week to look around you. Look at your life. Because he's gifted you with ways that he wants you to steward his kingdom. He's gifted you with a home, perhaps a car, income, special talents, strengths, a family. All of these things he's gifted you with, asking you to be good stewards of them for his kingdom. And upon his return, he will call us to report how we use the resources that he put at our disposal. When you present it to him, will he be able to say, well done, good and faithful servant? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your grace and your strength. God, I uh, thank you that you are the good king, and yet you are a king. You, you're the king. And as the good king, God, you, you are also the one to bring justice. And so we, we lay it before you. We ask that you give us the strength to seek you. God, have mercy on us and be gracious to us that, that we might use our gifts to steward you, be good stewards of your kingdom so that, God, that other people might know your love. Other people might be able to share in the richness of what it means to be your servant. I pray these things in your name. Amen.